about uh, community groups starting up? Man, I hope you are, because it's just where the life is at around here. If you want to, would you open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 4? We're going to look at three sections of Scripture. I'm going, to, I'm going to bounce around a little bit today, a little more than usual. Because I really want to talk this morning about... Um, I want to talk this morning about why uh, our community groups are such a big deal. All right, uh, We're launching those this week and next week. And if you, if you feel like this, this place, uh, the vineyard, is where you're supposed to be, if you feel like it's the place that God is making home for you, uh, I want to encourage you, uh, you, you can't just come on Sunday morning and be, uh, feel like a part of the family. I mean, you can be in, we'll love you and everything, but you won't feel like it. And there's something, there's something extra that happens in community groups. And I just want to, we're going to bounce through the scriptures a little bit this morning. We're going to see the way that God works um, over and over again, especially in the life of Jesus. And we're going to look at uh, look in three places this morning. We're going to look at, I'm going to tip you off. You can stick pieces of paper or something like that in there. We're going to look at Mark 4. We're going to look at Acts chapter 10. And we're going to look at John 1. Jesus has a way of forming disciples. Jesus has a way of doing life. And it's a really important rhythm. If we get into that rhythm, then it allows the transforming power of the gospel to actually change and shape our life. You know, it, it allows the transforming power of the gospel to, to take root on the inside and put out branches that bear fruit. And so we want to we get into this, this rhythm. And uh, we see it really clear in Mark chapter 4. It's one of the reasons I love it. It's the, we see how Jesus works. He has a method for producing disciples, and it was a method that not only did Jesus use, but it was the method of the early church. Look at, look at Luke chapter 4. And let's look at the first three verses here, because we see this, this dichotomy in the, in the Scripture here. Verse 1, this is what it says. It says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, and the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat, and he sat it out on the lake while all the people were on the shore, and he was teaching. Okay? So do you all have the picture? There's this giant crowd. They've come to hear Jesus. And the reason the crowd is so big is because, I don't, I don't know if you realize this yet, if you've read enough of the gospels but like when jesus is around stuff happens right you know like dead people get up jesus ruins every funeral you know you get around jesus and anything could happen like you could you could be you could be one of those people who you know got your arm hacked off in the war and you know you come around jesus and he might just touch it and the thing would grow out you know it's not a joke you get around jesus it is not a joke and so crowds would come. And I want you to see this. It's, it's just in the first couple verses here. That the crowd was so big that Jesus couldn't effectively teach or minister to them while being on the shore with them. So he gets this great idea and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put me in a boat and then just put me out on the water a little bit and my voice will bounce off the water and it'll be like amplification and everybody will hear it and it'll be great, right? So what do we have here? We have Jesus teaching the crowds. And not just the little crowds, but the really big crowds i.e. Sunday morning, right? There's a part of our life we need, we need Sunday morning. There's something about Sunday morning that's just essential. We need it. But this wasn't the only way that Jesus worked. Look at verse 10. This is after Jesus has 
told him the parable, and it's the parable of the sower. Y'all know this? That parable is, you know, guy went out and he threw seed on the ground, and some was rocky, and some was weedy, and some, y'all know that one? Okay, that's the parable he tells him. Then look at verse 10. And when Jesus was alone with the twelve and the others, they asked him about the parables, and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So what do we see here? One chapter, we see Jesus working two different ways. Jesus ministering to the crowds. The crowds are so big that you have to get into a boat to get around it and hear it. But you also see that Jesus has a way of forming disciples, and it is in the smaller privacy of the home kind of group, our community groups. You want to be a disciple with Jesus. You you can't just get it on Sunday morning. There's something else that gets added to it. It's Jesus saying, come on the inside and ask me some questions. See, we need, we need, we need big meetings, you know? We need Sunday morning. I, there, for me, there's no encouragement, like the encouragement that comes from being with like 225 of you guys and we all sing. Like, y'all enjoy worship this morning? Like, there's, there is an encouragement. It's like, it's subterranean. Uh, no one says, be encouraged. It, it's like, it's invisible. It's subterranean. It's the Spirit. But there's something that happens when like 225 or 250 of us get in the room and all of us, for you know, one time in the entire week, all of us just begin to sing and declare, God, you are incredible. I don't know, about, do you guys go home different? See, I go home different from that one thing. Like, there's something about a big meeting that's incredible. We get together, we sing, and it's just, it transforms us. There, uh, it, for me, it's strength and it's encouragement. That's what happens when we all get together in this big meeting. Uh, I remember when I was, um, I was about 20, and uh, my father-in-law took me to this big meeting up in Toronto. It was sort of a revival meeting, and I'd never been in a meeting like that. Uh, at the time, I was invisibly, no one knew this, but on the inside, I was really uh, struggling with uh, feeling called into ministry, uh, but, at this, but I hated it because every pastor I ever seen was so lame. I was like, like I was running away from the ministry because I was like, if, if I have to wear a jerk suit and, and tell lies to everyone about how happy I am and how happy I am to see them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You've met pastors, right? It's like, oh, hey, brother, I just love you. It's like, no, you don't. You're just saying that. I thought, if I have to live this inauthentic life and put on this monkey suit, I, you know, I'm out, you know? That's what I thought. That's all I'd ever seen, you know? But I went in this room, and there was like 5,000 people in there, and everyone was just, I'd never heard it before. I mean, everyone's just singing at the top of their lungs, and this pastor gets up, and I'm like, I could, I could do that, you know? But before that, the worship part, that's the wrong point. Uh, the worship part, when everyone, it was like 5,000 people raising their voices, something came off of me in that moment, like a spirit of heaviness and despair came off of me, one I didn't even know I was carrying around, and it came off because encouragement came in, and it was the encouragement of knowing that, like, I'm not alone in whatever this is. There's like 5,000 of us. We're like, it's like an army. It's like, ah, it's good. Did anybody in the room ever, uh, this was uh, several years ago. Do you guys remember when Lou Engel put that big meeting on down in Nashville called The Call? Anybody in here go to that? I went to that. I got absolutely wrecked at that meeting. Because at that meeting, there were over 70,000 people 
in a football stadium. And there were moments when, when the worship that went up was so raucous. I mean, it just wasn't contrived. You can't get 70,000 people to do something, you know? Try it sometime. There was nothing contrived about it. But there was this joining. Uh, I, I don't even know what it is. It's, it's metaphysical. It is, um, it is mystical. But something happens. And when 70,000 voices hit together and there's all these harmonies, and especially when it's directed at the truest thing in all the universe, the great God who sits in heaven right now. And I'm telling you, there were moments when worship was like Lord of the Rings. You know, like Helm's Deep, like when... The scary part, you know, I was even, I still watch, it scares me to death. It was like that. There was this moment, it was at the very end, and 300 guys came in with these shofars. I hate shofars, but they came in with shofars, and um, it's ram's horns, and they were all blowing them, and 70,000 people let up this shout. I'm telling you, the insides of my body were vibrating, and it wasn't the stadium. It was like, there was a release of the Holy Spirit and courage. I mean, courage came on the stadium. Like, I love that. We need that. Like, you, you won't make it in your life without, like, that big meeting, joining voices. You're not in this alone. But we need more than the big meeting. How many of y'all know that? You, need, you won't make it in your life with just the big meeting. Some, some people are, like, really discouraged by the big meeting because they've been hurt in church. And so they're like, and you've talked to these people, or maybe you are one of these people. If you are, I'm not making fun of you. But you've talked to maybe some of these people, and they're like, ah, I don't want a big church. Ah, I've been hurting big church. You know, we're just going to meet in homes. You know, and the idealism takes over. And what they what they indirectly miss in all of this is they is that sometimes it's easy for us to believe that we got hurt in the big meeting because there was lots of people. I just want to tell you, you didn't get hurt in the big meeting because there was lots of people. It wasn't the lots that was the problem. It's the people. So when you go home to the little meeting with everybody you trust, just hang out. They'll hurt you. What's the point? I'm just saying it's not either or. It's both and. We need, we need the big meeting where we can join voices, where we can realize that whatever this thing about Jesus is, it isn't private and it isn't individual that there's something about life with Jesus that is we, us, and our. There really is a powerful pronoun change that needs to happen in our mindset. Like, it isn't me and Jesus, it's us, we, and our. And that happens in the big meeting. But we also need more than that. We need more than just Sunday morning. We need it when it's, when it's a smaller group alone with Jesus behind closed doors I want you to look at verse 10 again and I want you to just underline that in your Bible because it's one of the most important verses in all the Bible when he was alone the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables you can get that if you need I'm just joking it's all good Mike I'm just jerking you around Yeah, but verse 10 is so, it's so powerful and it's so important with us. And it's one of the main reasons I want to encourage you to become a part of our community groups. Because there's certain things in your walk with Jesus that are never going to take root in your life until it's 
you and a small group of people behind closed doors with the Lord. Okay? Um, it, it's really important. Have you, how many of you guys have ever um, gone to a big meeting and you were encouraged, but you left and you're like, what was that? I mean, I feel better, but I, what happened in there? That was really weird. Is that me? Okay, it's just me. I think it's more than me, actually. I think it's some of you. But, but there's, a, there's a part of life with Jesus that requires explanation. And this is one of the things that we get in small group ministry or home group ministry, is we get revelation, we get illumination, and we get explanation. It's Mark chapter 4, verse 10. They ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, what are those parables about? And what does Jesus tell them? Let me tell you what the parables are about. In fact... If you don't understand this first parable, you're not going to understand anything I'm telling you. And so behind closed doors, Jesus begins to reveal his own teaching. What's the point? It's a couple points. Number one, Jesus only reveals himself to disciples. How do you become a disciple? You you begin to commit yourself to life with Jesus, not just in big groups where we can hide out, but we commit ourselves to life with Jesus in small groups. And as we begin to process life with Jesus in small groups, he will illuminate himself, he will reveal himself, and he will explain himself. Now, I know some of you are really smart, and you're thinking, this sounds really good, the logic is airtight, except Adam, Jesus isn't with us, right? You're like, well, of course it works then. Jesus was in the room, but he's nowhere to be found, right? No, the problem is, we have forgotten something that Jesus said. Jesus said in John chapter 14, it's actually best if I leave. Not only that, but if, if a couple of you just will get together in my name, I'll be there with you. So we have, this, we have this spiritual experience where just if a couple of us will come together to pursue Jesus, he will also be there. And just like Mark chapter 4, verse 10, he will illuminate, he will reveal, and he will explain himself to us in a way that allows us to grow as disciples. Amen? spilled some of that on myself I need to get my other water time out okay time in So what can you expect in a vineyard community group? You can expect the Lord Jesus to reveal himself, to illuminate himself, and you can expect to understand things about Jesus and his teaching in the kingdom that you've never understood before in your life. I'm not, I'm, and I'm not being a salesman. I'm just telling you that's how it works. I know that sounds like I was trying to sell you something. I just realized that. I'm, I'm, I'm not. It's just the way it works. There's something about pursuing life with, with some other people, just a, just a few And the reason is this. Here's one of the main reasons why. It's because that when we get together in smaller groups, it's less lecture like it is right now where I'm telling you guys stuff. And it's more conversational. And there's a kind of learning that can only happen in conversation. Not only that, but in the large group, like this, in the large group, one of the troubles with the large group is I can hide in the large group. If you want to hang out in the large group and hide, you can hide. You can hide for years. 
Some of you have hidden for years. You've been here every Sunday and you're still hiding. So you can hide in the small group, I mean the large group. And hiding by hiding, I mean you can not participate and you can hope that someone else covers you. You can shrink back and you can stay covered. But in small groups, see in small groups, you and I are forced to become more transparent. The smaller the group, the more transparent you have to become. And the more transparent you become, the more reality begins to take place in your life or begins to happen in your life. And the more reality begins to happen, the more Jesus is actual, actually able to actually have an effect on your actual life. That was incredibly complicated. Did you get that? When I commit myself to, to pursuing Jesus with smaller groups, it forces me to be more transparent. Transparency puts me in touch with reality. See, when I'm, when I'm only a part of the big group, I can hide. I can live in whatever little reality I want. I can create my own reality. I can take myself in. I can take myself out. I can create a facade. I can trick you. I can trick you for years. But in a home group, in a community group, with 8 or 10 or 15 people, you can't trick anybody. And when you stop tricking people, you have revealed a space in your heart that Jesus can actually begin to work in. Because the only place he can work is reality. He can't work in your puppet kingdom. If you're, if you're satisfied with a puppet fake reality, Jesus will be satisfied to let you stay there. There's something about transparency that empowers him to be able to steer and correct your life. How many of you have ever tried to steer a stationary car? Anybody in here ever driven a car that didn't have power steering? Y'all remember that? The Gray Goose. Yeah. Justin has a truck. We call it the Gray Goose. It doesn't have power steering. The only way you can steer that sucker is to get it going. If it's not moving, you ain't turning it. I don't care how big you are. Like, Dr. Ray isn't even going to turn that steering wheel. Transparency is the, is, is, is the beginning of the wheels beginning to turn in your life. When your wheels are turning, the Lord can move. He can take that, he can take that ship right over. How many of you guys realize this is true in your marriage? See, marriage is the perfect picture of this. Marriage is the smallest group, and it's the one where I'm most transformant. I mean, it's the one where I'm most transparent. And because it's the smallest, most transparent group that I have in my life, it's also the one that has formed me the deepest. It's the one that's changed me the deepest, that relationship there. Some of you are like, man, I love Jesus. Ain't nothing in my life changed for 15 years. I would like to suggest that one of the best ways to see Jesus really renew your heart and change is to not just be a hiding, big meeting person, but to come into the light of a small group. How many of you have ever traveled with somebody and found out all kinds of stuff about them? Yeah. I've traveled with the band quite a bit this, this year. They know all my bad stuff. They know all my bad stuff. They know I'm incredibly impatient in traffic. Like, I, I'm the pastor who's like, what? <laughs> Only I don't say what. <laughs> yeah, it's hectic. It's incredibly hectic. They know that, and they know the other bad stuff about me. One of the things I would like to suggest is you need people to know your junk. It's great. It's cathartic when people know your junk. 
It feels so good when you don't have to keep up anything anymore. It's, it's incredible. Like, when people start to know your junk, you'll just sleep better having people know your junk. Because you don't even realize, like, the emotional energy of you expended trying to look good, but no one's believing it. It's like time to step into reality. That's where Jesus lives. He lives in reality. He, he is not interested in puppet kingdoms. It's, it's, puppet kingdoms are great on Mr. Rogers. It just doesn't work in real life. Y'all remember that creepy puppet kingdom on Mr. Rogers? What was that guy's name? The king? King Friday freaks me out. I mean, I'm telling you. There is Saul 5 less scary than King Friday. And that woman, the little woman puppet that would come out. Oh. Gosh, Fred Rogers tormenting me. Mark chapter 4. So we have Jesus with the big group, and then we have Jesus with the little group. I'd like to show you one more thing from Mark chapter 4, and then we'll move on quickly. So Jesus is preaching, and he's preaching the parable of the sower. And it just really underscores how brilliant Jesus actually is. It's off the charts brilliant. So Jesus is with this giant crowd of people, and he's preaching to them, this parable of the sower. He says, sower goes out, he throws some seed over here, he throws some seed over there. Some of it's good soil, some of it's rocky soil. Sometimes the birds snatch it up. Sometimes there's weeds and thorns. And later on, the disciples are like, we don't get it. And Jesus is like, well, let me just tell you, I'm out and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching the word. And when I preach the word, that's the seed and it falls on all kinds of stuff. And after you hear Jesus's explanation, one of the things you realize is that the soil is what? People. So how brilliant is Jesus? He's telling them a story, and he's looking at them, and he's telling them a story. And without them even kind of really knowing what's going on, he's beginning to tell them a story about themselves. Right? And he says, well, you know, there's some people who will receive my word, and it'll take root, and they're good soil, and then there's all these other kinds of people. And one of the things I'd like to suggest to you is if you want to be a good soil kind of person, the good soil isn't the soil that has everything together. Okay, it isn't the person who has everything together. It's the person who pursues Jesus behind closed doors with a small group of people so that we can receive his explanation. That's what the good soil is. The good soil isn't having it all together. The good soil is stepping into a community where people know me and I'm free to ask questions and I'm free to begin to dialogue about who Jesus is and I'm free to receive his illumination. That's what makes good soil. When I press on with Jesus behind closed doors with a few people, it actually removes rocks and weeds from my life. Jesus isn't saying, you've got to have all your rocks and weeds taken care of on the front end. What he's really saying is, pursue me, and something about the pursuit will remove rocks and weeds from your life. Thank you. That was good. Thank you. <laughs> This guy I used to work with, he used to say, if you want to drink water, just come to the fountain, right? Yeah. If you wanna if you wanna grow, then let's let's press on with Jesus, not just in this group, but with with a smaller group. Now let's if you want to turn to Acts chapter ten. It's one of my favorite parts of the whole book of Acts. 
We're not going to read it. I'll just tell it to you. But you should turn there just for practice. Loosen those pages up. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 10. There's this guy named Cornelius. He's a real hero in the scripture. Uh, he's like a he's a Roman centurion, and so uh, just in terms of ancient Jesus days, uh, Cornelius is in the out group. Do we all get that? There's like the in group, they're the Jews, and then we got everybody else, and they're in the out group, right? Except except Cornelius, he's on the out group. And but the thing about Cornelius is, even though he's in the out group, his whole life he's been a man of prayer, and he's somehow pursued God. We don't know how it happened, but he's been a man of prayer. And one day, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, this angel shows up and says, this is really great. He says, pay attention. He says, wake up, put your coffee down. He says, Cornelius, he says, your prayers have been answered. And your alms that you've given to the poor have been remembered. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go get Peter, and I want you to bring him to your house. He has something for you. Now, how would you like that to happen to you? That would be pretty killer, wouldn't it? Some of you think you're prophetic. Think you know stuff. (laughs) this is new levels I'm just here to tell you this is new levels so he sends his servants out and that's what they do and and not only that but he knows where it's he knows where Peter's at no I want you to get this so this happens in one moment at the same moment Peter's like away and Peter has this really he has this really trippy vision of sheets and animals and the Lord keeps telling him get up peak kill and eat you know I think I learned that from you, Dr. Ray. <laughs> and Peter's like, I ain't eating that. I've never eaten any of that stuff. I've, I've kept myself pure because he's a Jew, you know? And the Lord's basically telling him, go ahead, eat bacon. And it's really trippy. And there's no drugs involved. This is... See, here's the deal. The Bible is not against tripping out. <laughs> Some of you guys are going to have a hard time with this. I'm, I'm just so apologize. <laughs> the Bible's not against tripping out. You just don't have to smoke anything to do it. Right? Like, don't get drunk on wine. Get drunk on the Holy Spirit. It's like the Bible has an alternative. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> Biblically legitimate alternative. So, Peter enters into a biblically legitimate alternative experience. And while he does this, <laughs> this is getting hectic. I'm even feeling it. <laughs> I think I'm entering that right now. Holy smokes, Jesus help me. He's having a biblically legitimate alternative experience while the angel's talking to Cornelius. Somebody knocks on the door. It's Cornelius' dudes. The spirit speaks to Peter and says, go with these guys, do whatever they say. This is so cool. Peter goes to Cornelius' house, the outgroup. And it's just a little house. I mean, you can go online. You can see like a little like model of what Cornelius' house looks like. It was like a little house, and they were in the, you know, the, the great room, only it's not a great room at all. It's kind of terrible. And, but he had his whole family in there, and, and this is Cornelius' response to Peter. He says, okay, hit us with what you've got. And Peter begins to preach the gospel to them. And while he's preaching the gospel to them at a home group, okay, at a home group, the Holy Spirit comes in the room, and these people, 
everyone starts to speak in tongues. And they've not even been baptized in water. And they're baptized in the Spirit. They're all speaking in tongues and they're worshiping God. And Peter's like, this is... wasn't expecting this. At a home group? What's the point? The point is, one of the things you can expect at a vineyard home group is you can expect God to show up in profound and dramatic ways. Uh, see, a lot of times we, we've invested so much of our heart's energy into the big meeting and we've put all of our money our resources our time and our effort into keeping a big meeting going and it's this is always the way god is he just he loves pulling the the, the end around on us so often god will take uh the place where we've put the least amount of time energy heart and money and he will he will come around and flank us and he will do his biggest work in the smallest place where we had the least faith for it oftentimes you think i'm kidding you what about jesus the Son of God was born a baby. God loves doing things. He loves for things to start small and get big. He, he sent his son into Nazareth. People joked about Nazareth. They said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, only the biggest thing that's ever happened came out of Nazareth. And when it did, you wouldn't even know it because it was a baby. Right? But one of the things you can expect at a vineyard home group is you can expect God to come around and do the biggest things oftentimes that maybe you've ever seen. I, I can tell you just from experience... The most dramatic encounters with the Lord I've ever had have never been here. They've always been in home groups. What, what am I talking about? Well, I have this thing. Uh, it's in um, one of my life goals is in Acts chapter 5. And there's this little snippet. I've seen it one time in my whole life. And I live to see it over and over again. But in Acts chapter 5, it says that they brought everyone who was sick and demonized to the apostles. And everyone was healed. That's what it says. This is how, this is how the early church rolled. You were sick, you had a devil, just bring them to the apostles, and they would lay hands on them and pray for them, and everyone was healed. Now see, I used to, I used to read that, and there was an ache in my heart, because I've prayed for lots of people who didn't get healed, and I've also prayed for a lot who did. But if you've ever, if you've ever prayed for someone who had cancer and then went to their funeral, you know what I'm talking about, you know? It's a big deal, and I'm living for Acts chapter 5 days, when it's everyone. And the only time I've ever seen Acts chapter 5, everyone was at a home group. I saw Joe Hurchin heal 14 people in 15 minutes at Andrew and Sarah Ward's house. I mean, it was crazy, you all. It was absolutely crazy. Everyone in the room, I mean, it was like people were just gross. I was sick, like really gross sick. Like people had sinus infection, crud. People couldn't move with their backs. And Joe Hurchin went into one of his things and, then, and in 15 minutes, four people, 14 people got, com- everyone who was there, everyone got completely healed, didn't change, perfect. And we could tell more stories, but I, I just want to tell you, God will often do really big things at home group, you know? Some of us may think, well, man, I, I just want to come on Sunday mornings where, where the glory's at, you know? I, the best moments I've ever had with God were, not just here, but they were with just a handful. So I'd encourage you to find your spot in one of these groups this year because this is probably going to be your semester to see God move powerfully in your life.
How many of you know that there's more to God, to the God of the universe than a two-hour, once-a-week meeting? You know? It's like... It, this has always been the thing that's confused me. It's like, we get together and we're like, oh, God's awesome. He's really great. He's so powerful. He's the biggest. He's the best. He's changed my life. He died for my sin. On Sundays. <laughs> you know? It's like, what about the other... 168 hours of the week. We need this, but we need more than this. What we need is the shared kind of life. It's something the Lord's been doing around here. Just, He's always been doing it. It's in our history, but it's becoming more and more amplified and more and more apparent to a lot of us who are here. God's really building not just a community, but He's building a family. You can't be a part of a family two hours a week. I mean, you can, it's just, it's just sort of a lame experience. It's the shared kind of life. You, you can't increase in love for Jesus without at the same time increasing your contact with people. Jesus always brings us into greater contact with people. You can't become a more miserable, isolated person who's perpetually lonely and at the same time increase in love for Jesus. Those, that doesn't work. Whatever that is, that doesn't work. Here's the other thing. Isolation and loneliness, they're only comfortable when you're trying to hide the pain. It's one of the things I've found out in my life. Isolation and loneliness, they're only comfortable when you're trying to hide the pain. And, and you can hide it on a Sunday. That's the, this is the issue I'm trying to get at. You can hide the pain on a Sunday. In fact, this is one of the things I found out after about 20 years of ministry, is that Sunday mornings are mostly just Tylenol for the pain. It works for about 12 hours, right? You'll feel great for 12 hours. But something happens when you stop taking Tylenol and you come into, you come into the community group. Community group isn't a, isn't, it isn't a Tylenol. It's like full bypass surgery your heart gets put on the table fixed somewhere that was accurate wasn't it I I felt like I mean just medically speaking this is accurate for open bypass surgery okay just want to clarify that Oh, I think I'm having another biblical experience. <laughs> I don't know about you, but there's just waves of joy. I feel waves of joy. You guys feel that? I feel like doing a high kick. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you guys are first-time visitors, and you're like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> oh, don't do that. I'm not going to make you hot kick. Mm. Let's turn to John chapter 1. One more thing real quick. John chapter 1 is good. It's a real good piece. My hands are not working right now.
John chapter 1 is, is just sort of the theme that we're going to be hitting on in our, in our home groups and community groups. People may not necessarily talk about this theme, but this is, this is where we're going. I want to read just a few scriptures for you. Look at John chapter 1. Uh, let's look at 35 through 39, okay? Jesus' first disciples. Look at this. This is really cool. The next day, John was there again with, the two, with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When, two, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And look at verse 39. Come, he said, and you will see. Underline verse 39. So when Jesus is hanging out and calling disciples and making disciples, he is inviting them to come and see. Y'all got that? Josh, this is inappropriate. Josh just texted me a picture of that scary little puppet from Fred Rogers. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Totally freaked out. (laughs) Well, I'm going to need to be like, Jim, can you trauma prayer me later? This thing is like, Jim, Jim, what am I even doing? (laughs) I can't think of anything. I can't read now. Mm. If I don't look at you, it's it's better. What was that thing we did on P90X? What was it Namaste? Yeah, I need I need that. Okay. Hmm. Okay, so verse 39, Jesus looks at those first disciples and he says, Hey, come and see. Come and you'll see. And then look at verse 43. This is like the next day. How do I know that? Because it says so. It says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said, Follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda, and Peter found Nathanael, and he told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. What does Philip say? Come and see. Yeah, this is going to be one of our deals at our community groups, all of them. Is that we're taking a heart posture, and I hope this doesn't scare you too much, but we're taking the heart posture of come and see. How many of you realize that way too much of church is coming here? Ooh, come on. Come on. Way too much of the kingdom of heaven has been built around come in here. Jesus always builds it around come and see. See, there is when Jesus was doing stuff, it was still the word of God. Like when Jesus healed the blind guy, that was the word of God just as much, a, just as, much as when Jesus stood up and gave the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus healed the lame guy, that was just as much a message from God and about what his heart is and how he feels as it was when Jesus says, you know what, don't worry about your life, don't worry about money. Look at the birds of the air when he would teach. It was the same thing. In fact, when Jesus was asleep in the storm, 
it was still the Word of God. He was still the Word of God. And so one of the things we have to adopt, and we want to here, but especially in our community groups, is we want to adopt a heart posture of come and see. What does that mean? It means we're going we're gonna to try stuff at least as much as we talk about stuff. And one of the things I've challenged the, all of the community group leaders is, let's do stuff more, even more than we talk about it. Let's just try it. Let's try the stuff out. Because Jesus says to his disciples, he says, not only are you guys going to follow me around, but you're going to be like me. Romans chapter 8, verse 20, 29 says that we've been predestined to be conformed to the likeness of, his, of the Son. And this confirmation, it isn't just being conformed to like Jesus' character. It also has to do with Jesus' power and how he feels about cancer and diseased and demonized people and people who just eat up with drugs and sex and rock and roll. Okay, not the rock and roll. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, people need, people need an encounter with the come and see part of the gospel. It's way, come and see is way more fun. It, it's way more hectic. It's way more risky, but it's way more fun. You just can't divorce what Jesus says from what he's doing. It's the reason I hate red-letter Bibles. Andrea, help me with this. I hate red-letter Bibles. Andrea taught me this. You know why? Because red-letter Bibles subtly try to convince us that Jesus' words are more important than his actions. Come on. That's a word of wisdom. Jesus' disciples do the things that he does. And here's the great thing about community groups. Community groups are a great, safe place to learn how to do the things that Jesus does. You need a, you need a safe place to try it out, you know? Um, like right now, uh, NFL football is about to start. Holla. Bengals are going to be terrible. I'm prophesying it right now. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but how many of you realize they're playing preseason games right now because they need to find out who can do the stuff right yeah it's the same thing community groups are like it's like the preseason you need to you know you want to play quarterback you can't just show up on sunday and play quarterback man you gotta you gotta work out you gotta you gotta know the playbook you gotta try it out you gotta you gotta throw some passes that don't hit your receivers you know you got to work all that stuff out. And community groups are a really great place where we can, where it's a safe place to try and fail. And, and here's the deal. I know this runs so counter to, to everything we've ever been taught. Like, if you're not failing, you're not growing in the kingdom. You're, you're just not. Every one of Jesus' disciples failed him. Every single one. The only one who kind of didn't was John. I mean, we're talking about ultimate failure. But and then even, there was even a day where John decides with his brother that it'd be a good idea to kill the Samaritans with fire from heaven. Failed. Yeah. It's like they won't, they won't welcome us, Jesus. Should we kill them? Well, you know, son. No, no there's something about failure that, that teaches us about life with Jesus. And, and, and one of the things that we've heard over and over and over in the church is failure is unacceptable. And it's just not true. So we want to create safe places where people can try and fail. Like, you know, seriously. 
Seriously. The best way to learn how to prophesy is not for me to teach you how to prophesy. It's just to get around a couple of prophetic people and then you just mess it up for a little while. Isn't that, that's true. Yeah, I think I just said something true. Yeah. The best way to learn how to heal the sick is, you know, not necessarily to do a word study. <laughs> get my concordance out and do a word study. No, it's just to get around people who are healing the sick. Try it out. Lay your hands on a few people. Like the most dramatic healings I ever saw were when I knew the least about anything. I went, to, I went on a trip with Randy Clark to Brazil. I saw crazy stuff. I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. I couldn't, even, I couldn't even tell you about healing in the Bible. I knew it was in the Gospels, kind of. I was saved. I mean, it wasn't like that. But it was like, I didn't know anything. I had certainly had no theology of healing. Hanging out with Randy Clark, this guy comes up to me. Look, I don't speak Portuguese, okay? The interpreter tells me he has a stomach problem. That's all I get, okay? And then the interpreter leaves, which is really great. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray in English to a man who doesn't understand me. So I figure, okay, well, I know this much. They told us to, like, lay hands on him. So I'm going to lay hands on him. Figure it's his stomach, so I'll put my hand on his stomach. And wouldn't you know it, I put my hand on his stomach, because I thought his stomach was, you know, oh, he's got a little diarrhea or something like that, you know? (laughs) No, no, this is what it was. I put my hand on his stomach, and the man had a tumor the size of a softball. And wouldn't you know where my hand went? Around the tumor. I didn't know anything about healing. This is what I said. I said, oh, God, help him, because he's probably going to die. That's pretty much what I said. (laughs) It was like a 30-second prayer. It was like, Holy Spirit, help him. And quicker than I could pray it, my hand smacked that guy's stomach. The tumor went flat, like poof. This guy doesn't, like a, like a, I don't even know, like, like a crazy rain dance. I don't even know. He was, he was, he was yelling. Uh, scared me to death. I thought, I thought, well, I've killed him or something. <laughs> and then he comes up, he comes up to me and he has his big belly like that. And he's like, you know, he's motioning me to fill him. And I'm like, well, I don't really hug people, let alone... <laughs> I finally put my hand there. It's gone, like completely gone. You know? It's not about, n- not about knowing. It's about having the heart that's willing to take a risk, look like an idiot. You just, you need that space. You, you really do. Everybody needs that space. You need the freedom. We need to do life with people who say, you know what, I'll be your lab rat. Poke me. It's true, I'll be your lab rat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be your chimpanzee. <laughs> Heal me. Okay, I got to stop because it's about to get really goofy. <laughs> Is that cool? If you're on the ministry team this morning, wow, transition. Segway. If you're on the, oh, the home group leaders. If yeah, come on up. 